Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. I'm Brian Seymour. And I'm Sally Layden. Welcome to episode 14 of Conversations. Well, it's been a long time since we've done a conversation, so it's great. We've got a lot of uh, new news to update you with. Um, obviously, we had episode 14 of our uh, normal series out last week, which we um, had uh, some very key people, including Leslie Loveday, who it was great to finally get her on record. So a uh, shout-out to Leslie. Thank you for, for speaking to us and for enlightening us on um, the last days that we're aware of um, with friends and family in the country before she went to the UK and, and disappeared. So um, one of the things I'd like to say in relation to, um, we've had a lot of tips of Marion lookalikes, which has been fantastic, and we have followed up on all of them. One of the main tips that we've had is um, of a Marion lookalike on an ABC television series um, at a old uh, old people retirement home um, with four-year-olds, um, and there was a lady named Shirley M., now, um, I, we all agreed until we got a really close up, um, photo of her. Sally was like, oh yeah, we should check her out as well. Um, that she, um, that she, you know, could have been Marion. Um, the age was wrong. She was, um, in her mid eighties, I think 86, mm. now 87. Um, but anyway, I rang her up because no stone left unturned. And, um, I can definitely say it is not Marion. Lovely woman though, Shirley. Ah. Uh, you know, you just made my day just talking to you. <laughs> just such an inspiration. And, um, you know, she did work as an early childhood educator. She, um, she, I think she was in the um, RAF or, you know, did some, um, obviously, the RSL. Um, this is one of the... Um, the care homes that they look after and we talked for ages and she just has such a positive outlook she's busy as as anyone you know as uh, as we almost <laughs> I mean we, we are I should say I should say almost as busy as we are um but yeah she's just out all the time and just a real trooper and you know just has this great philosophy of you know smiling and everything like that told us a lot about her life but definitely not Marion so definitely scratch that one off your list um but just a terrific person so yeah. Yeah, she looked Shirley. a lot like her, didn't she? She really did. Yeah, and look, I think for all the listeners out there, there is a very prominent feature that my mum has, which is a freckle inside her pupil. Um, well, actually, just inside her iris, so below her pupil on her right eye. So the first thing I look at when I see a photograph, I scan right up close as much as I can on the eye. If that freckle's not in there, it's 100% given that it's not her. Um, so, yeah, I think that was definitely the, the the nail in the coffin that it wasn't her, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, that freckle is definitely... Like a tattoo, I guess, you know, on somebody identifying somebody. So if you think that it is my mum or that you we're getting lots of people um, coming through with information, which Brian will probably tell you a little bit more about. But, yeah, if you can get a close look and check her eye, um, you can see the photos on our Facebook pages as well. There's um, her profile photo on the AFP missing persons list as well. Um, the photo I've put up um, or given to them was the most prominent one that I had, so you could identify that freckle in her eye quite clearly as well. So you can check it out there too. Yeah, and just on the anonymous tips, so obviously we've set up the anonymous tip line, if you like, at uh, www.theladyvanishes.org, and that's for people who want to give us information but don't want to reveal 
who they are, which which is fine, and we welcome it. And um, people have been pretty good. Um, we, we say that if you have theories or um, suggestions or more general information you want to share with us, you can do that on Facebook or by emailing us. The tip line is really for specific individuals who believe they have crucial information and may or may not want to be identified. If you want to include your email address, you can. Um, I guess the one thing I would say is it, it, it is a little frustrating um, some of the tips we've had have said, uh, for instance, I used to work, uh, I used to travel to this town um, between 2013, 2015. I'm just making this up, but it, along these lines. And uh, I'd go to the pub and I was served by a woman I'm certain was Marion. Um, you should definitely check it out. Um, all we have is the town and there's a, a number of pubs. Um, so no, no further context. And if that person had... Um, uh, agreed to give us um, their email address or to speak with us off the record in confidence. So again, protecting their identity, we might have been able to narrow down exactly which pub, what time of day, and uh, m- maybe even more details um, to, to to get some sort of um, information that we can actually go and check because we, we don't have the resources to travel to a country town and spend two weeks going through every pub, speaking to every employee, tracking down people who were there, all of that stuff that, that we would like to do. So be, be specific with the tips and uh, if you're comfortable, um, put down a, an email address. The one tip that we've received, and we'll talk a bit more about it in a while, but the one tip we've received is from a, a woman who uh, messaged us mainly writing in German, and uh, we still haven't heard from that woman. We would like to ask you more questions. We're um, uh, deeply intrigued by the message you sent us, and if you're listening, uh, we would love to speak to you in confidence. We won't share your information with anyone, so you can email us at theladyvanishes at seven the word seven dot com dot au, and uh, or you can message us on our Facebook page. The Lady Vanishes on Facebook. We'd love to speak to you to follow up on some questions we have about what you told us. Speaking about following up, Brian, did you want to give us an update on Fernand? Yes. So as our listeners know, and in the last episode, we we laid out what we know about Fernand Remichel. Now, for people who aren't fully prescient, Fernand Remichel is a uh, an older man living in Luxembourg, and uh, his uh, initials are... F-N-M-E-R, Fernand Nicholas Marie Ernest Remichel. Marion's name was changed by her to Florabella Natalia Marion Remichel. So F-N-M-E-R, F-N-M-R. Fernand um, played international soccer for Luxembourg. Um, He, um, we believe, may have come across Marion through the personal ad placed in the Australian-French newspaper Le Courier Australien in 1994 by, I'm sure, F. Ramakel. He's the only F. Ramakel of the same age. He's the only one in Luxembourg. And um, as you know, in episode 11 of The Lady Vanishes, we went and visited him, knocked on his door, and he was um, he behaved um, strangely. In, in our estimation, he behaved very oddly. Um, he wouldn't speak to us in English. Now, we, we've since tried to contact Mr. Ramakel. I sent him detailed questions by registered mail. That was returned, refused to accept Now, that was back in June. We've since sent those questions again. I'm told by Australia Post that 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 package has been delivered. I don't know if it'll come back returned to sender unopened. I don't know, but at least it's it's made it past the first hurdle of being refused at the door. Um, We've also um, uh, obviously tried to speak to Mr Remichel on the phone. We'd like to try and do that again. 
And we just want to ask Mr. Remichel some, some questions to eliminate him from the investigation because we're not accusing Fernand Remichel of any wrongdoing. We're not. We think possibly he may have crossed paths with Marion. The circumstantial evidence is overwhelming and it could just be incredible coincidence. But we're following up and we've also passed all the information we have and that, that circumstantial evidence, the age, the name, the place, the time, um, the, the description in the ad of the man who placed the ad matches this man. Um, so we, we've handed that all over to the police investigating the case and it's our hope with the renewed uh, enthusiasm uh, in the New South Wales Police to get to the bottom of this that he will be a person whom they would like to speak to. So we are following that up for all our listeners. I know everyone's on tenderhooks wanting to know more and we'd love to rule him out and move on. We haven't been able to do that yet, so we're pursuing that, uh, I promise you, with, with all of the resources that we, uh, we have access to. Absolutely. So I will, uh, I'm actually going to be calling him um, this evening um, in his time. So we will chase up on that as well. Now, Sally, um, you had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting the uh, new uh, Missing Persons Unit Registry or Missing Persons Registry head, Glenn Brown, recently, um, and were quite impressed. Yeah, what a lovely man. He um, was coming up to Queensland. Um, he had told me when he came to my home, I don't know, Friday a week ago, he'd only been in the role for three weeks, so it was very new to him. And um, he, I had been in, in, t- in contact with um, a lovely lady who's working at Missing Persons Unit who I'm very happy to say knows me and knows the story and is um, trying her best to look after me um, the best she can. Um, with answering questions and, you know, getting back to me when she says she will and things like that, which has been a really nice breath of fresh air. Um, Glenn contacted me and said that he'd like to come to my home. He was coming up to Brisbane to actually go and talk with uh, Missing Persons Unit in Queensland as he's trying to just get an idea of how other operations work um, and so that he can get together and get his head around um, what it is to make the New South Wales Missing Persons Unit a great unit. Um, he also said to me that he is going over to uh, England shortly and I made the suggestion to him that I'd been kind of begging, I guess, um, for my DNA to be sent over to England to be run against any Jane Doe's that potentially could be mum over in England um, with the potential idea that it wasn't actually her that came back into Australia um, and withdrew all the money and um, used her Medicare card and perhaps she something happened to her over there, which I think we I even I just said to him even just to cross off that box to say we've checked it and it's not. I think that's a really positive thing and he sort of indicated to me that he doesn't see that that's a big deal. So um, I'm sure that he's doing his best to try and make that happen for me. Um, I explained to him that we had been to Luxembourg Police and also to Kent Police in the, while we were over in um, in Europe and the UK and they had all indicated to us um, very openly that they were very happy to help um, but it had to be a directive of New South Wales Police. So he is aware of that. And we chatted for about an hour and a half and he's taken with him a pair of my mum's ballet slippers. Um, it kind of just dawned on me that perhaps those slippers may have 
as gross as it sounds, might have a little bit of mum's skin or, you know, remnants of DNA that they can pull from those slippers that might be embedded in the, in the, in the seam or something like that. She'd actually given the slippers to my cousin before she left um, and Prue had indicated to me that she had the slippers and they were tucked away in a safe spot. Um, with her wedding dress because she knew that they were pretty precious and um, she graciously sent them up to me so that we could send them off for testing. Unfortunately, they've indicated that they may be ruined during the testing. But you know what, that's a that's a small price to pay for me to actually get mum's physical DNA if that's what we can find. Um, obviously, Prue did wear the slippers once or twice, so she's now having to give her DNA as well just so that they can verify whose DNA they have when they do the testing. Um, so, yeah, so she's been really um, great and a great supporter of me as well on this journey while we're trying to find out what's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. And that's Detective Inspector Glenn Brown. Um, Alison, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, he's an experienced homicide detective. Yeah, that's, I thought it was like 14 years or something like that. Well, he's been, he's actually been in the police force for nearly 33 years, I think he said, and he's been there in the homicide go. squad for about 15. Yeah. So working closely wow. with homicide, um, really experienced, great communicator, um, and I tell know, you, I, my heart soared, Sally, when I when I watched. I'm in Sydney. You're both in Brisbane. When I watched the vision Alison sent me, because she was there of of Glenn emerging from your house with the slippers. Um, you know, you, you've been at this for 22 years. We've been at it for almost a year, and it's it's. Um, well, 23 years uh, now. Yeah, we're up yeah, to our 23rd years. year. We've yeah, been saying 22 for so years. long, it's yeah, now we've, right. we've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, it, you know, my heart soared when I saw that because that, that, that's a, a rudimentary um, and, and um, extremely useful um, piece of science that uh, should have been utilised a long time ago um, that, that, that can be as a result of what we're doing now and, and your persistence. And um, to, to see that, you know, the, head, the new head of the missing persons unit, the new unit set up as a result of this investigation, uh, Project Alethea with new detectives, new resources, new analysts, is just wonderful and it really gives us all hope that we are going to find out what happened to Marion. Yeah, not just for me either, like for every other person who has a missing person. You yeah. know, I'm really happy that... Um, the hard work that we are doing is opening up the doors for not just myself but for every other person who's in my same situation. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing that was really lovely of uh, Glenn is he, um, at the end of the uh, chat that we had, promised that he would have a sit-down with us, um, which we're um, following up today, aren't we, Brian? Yes, we are. I'll be sending him uh, via the official channels. We always go through um, the proper correct protocol with New South Wales Police, who, again, have been um, brilliant at um, um, staying in communication with us, letting us know what hap- what's happening. They've obviously got a, um, a state police force to run, and murderers and rapists and uh, all sorts of white-collar crime to prosecute, chase down and investigate, but they've always um, responded to us promptly. I'll be sending them a message today to see if we can take them up on the offer to sit down with Glenn. Yeah, well, I mean, this is no lesson. We, we don't know whether, um, and certainly something that's very possible, that that you, um, Mariam was the victim of, you know, maybe a murderer. Um, so, you know, this is really important that we need to um, get to the bottom of this. And, and well, just, just on that, I was just looking back through the early reports of this um, podcast, and um, it's interesting reading back Sally something Sally told the reporter at The Australian. And the, 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 the first line is um, Marion Barter is... And this is back in um, April, so the, the month that the podcast launched. Marion Barter is quite probably a murder victim, according to her daughter. And then further down, and it goes into the police assumptions that, that she decided to go missing, 
But then um, Sally's quoted down. Did you remember saying this, Sally? My mum was really vulnerable and really gullible, Leighton says. She's not a street smart person. For her to go and fake an identity and vanish is just something that seems so out of character and something that she could just not physically pull off. Mm -hmm. My gut feeling is, being the person she is, she met somebody and he promised her the world and she's fallen for it. And she met with foul play. And uh, it's, it's interesting that... Again and again, the people who knew Marion, that, that's just not the jaundiced view of a daughter who's mm. uh, holding out hope. Mm. That's the view of everyone who knew Marion well. No mm. way she walked away mm. on her yeah. own. No chance. Zero chance. And even Mandy Jennings in the latest episode, who sat with her in a classroom and got to know her well, who had the last footage of her that we ran in the last uh, story in the last episode, no chance she walks away from her family. Never. Not possible for her to do it. And uh, I think we've got to trust in the judgment of those who knew Marion best, that something else has happened to her. Well, that's the thing that also with the university um, expert in in this area who helps out um, police with missing persons, who was saying that the studies all sh- well, the study that she did showed that you've really got to trust. It's actually the next to kin that is more likely or has um, more accuracy in depicting what the actual outcome was, because you know, and and that they're, they're the ones that need to be listened to. They're the ones that. I just thought that well, was effectively really we know her. Like mm. I, I mean, I was seeing her weekly. Mm. It wasn't like I lived in Sydney and she was in Queensland. I moved up to come and live with my mum and start a new life. I met my husband once I moved to Queensland. So I've been firmly planted here since since 1995 um, when I first moved up here, and or uh, well, late 94 actually. Um, you know, and I was seeing my mum. She'd come in and, and meet me for dinner every Thursday night, and we'd have dinner together. And you know, she um, she showed care and compassion in her letters and her postcards to me while she was over in the UK. Um, and again, like I touch on the on the kitchen scales and things like that because that was so repetitive. Mm. I, I've just reread those letters and postcards the other day, and um, you know, I think. Wow, like you kind of sit back and you reread things again over and over just to try and get a, a grasp of, of what actually has happened that you might have missed or you might have overlooked. But it's so clear to me that she loved me and loved Owen and everybody around her and was sending postcards and things. And I just don't think that she was planning to disappear for the rest of her life. I want to point this out to you. This is something while I'm on that topic. Um, I said to the girls the other day, um, we were having a bit of a, a powwow about a few things, and I just put, put the question out there and said, she wrote in one of those postcards that she, or actually I think it was in the letter, that she had so much luggage that she had to put it into storage at Heathrow Airport because she couldn't carry it with her. Leslie states that she had so much luggage that they were laughing about the bus kicking her off and saying that she had so much luggage she, you know, wouldn't be allowed to catch the bus. We mm. sort of talked about that a little bit and said, if you're getting on an aeroplane and you have excess luggage, that costs a lot of money to fly that over to the UK, right? It costs a lot of money. We've gone on and we've had a look at what they charge today in pounds to store your luggage at Heathrow Airport, and it's exorbitant. It is huge. It's like paying for parking at the airport. Um, so my question is, for, I would get that. I totally never thought too much about it because she'd planned to go for a year with the potential of staying over there and working and teaching, which is what she had shared with all of us. However, to take all of that luggage and only go for five weeks, then drag it all back over to Australia, why would you do that? 
Mm. Yeah. Why would you take all of your bags and have four massive suitcases of clothing if you're only intending to go for five weeks? Well, you know, this is the big mystery, isn't it? And this is why um, it's got, you know, five million intrigued or five million downloads now, more than five million, um, is because it is... You know, there are so many unanswered questions and we are slowly starting to get answers. But, you know, until we get, um, you know, the, the police finish those reports, which um, we, you know, and get them to the coroner, you get the referrals done, the coroner makes a decision. Once the police get those reports to the coroner, we know they've done one of them, we believe. Yeah. And then there's another one that needs to be done, which they said in a statement to us that would be protracted process, which, you know, is quite annoying, um, that they'll get that those to the uh, coroner once that happens it, it apparently will only be about a week or so you know, yeah well the coroner ca- came back to me at the very beginning of when it was first alerted to her and said that it would take five five business days from the time that she receives those two documents from new south wales police um and then it would if she takes it on it would then the police have three months to actually compile their report to get it to her before it goes to a coronial investigation. Now, Gary mentioned you the jurisdiction issue and, and why he said that he needed to go through that. Did you want to articulate that? Yeah, look, I think um, I have expressed to Gary that I don't want it sent to Queensland, um, purely based on the fact that everything that we've worked really hard to do has been with New South Wales Police. And I feel like you know, I feel a little bit like palming it up to Queensland would be a lot of hard work and a lot of effort for me, again, which I shouldn't have to do to try and get the story told and get people working on the case, particularly now that I've just built up a really good rapport with the New South Wales Missing Persons Unit. I've had Glenn at my home. I feel really comfortable in that environment with them and working with them. I do not want to walk away from that. I also claim the facts that, I mean, Gary has stated that there's a part that you have to, there's like two parts and it's part one ABC, part two ABC, and he claims that none of those fit mum's profile for why she should be a New South Wales missing person as opposed to she should be a Queensland missing person, being that she was last seen in Queensland. However, our our point of interest with that is that she was using her bank account or someone was using her bank account in her name in Byron Bay and also her Medicare card was used in Grafton. They are the two last known points of activity known of my mother which were in New South Wales. Not to mention the fact you reported her missing there, yeah. Well, I reported her missing there because... Of that. I Mm. I rang the Commonwealth Bank and I had someone post last night about, you know, I can't believe you guys only just found out that the bank was wrong. And I'm like, I just want to clearly identify that 100% on my children's life, I called the Commonwealth Bank. I 100% went to the Commonwealth Bank in Byron Bay and I 100% went to the Commonwealth Bank in Ashmore and had a meeting with the bank manager, who I'm now trying to find. Uh, Because if I find him and he can have a chat with us, that would be really helpful. But Alison and I drove down the Gold Coast. I said to Alison, I remember going in and having a meeting with him. He had windows in his office. So I remember sitting down, looking out to the window. And the banks in Ashmore City, there's only one side of the building that has windows. And we walked into there and the guy confirmed that in 1997, that was the Commonwealth Bank. So that for me was another confirmation. Not only that, but the two guys that we spoke to who worked at the Commonwealth Bank in Byron Bay were absolutely 100% 
identified that what I was saying, how the how the um, bank internals looked with the officers at the back and the photocopier to the right, was actually exactly how it was. So, mm. and, and and Sally, just so that people know, you, you went there to the Commonwealth Bank because you were notified. When you called up to check in your mum's accounts, that's where they told you to go. The day, well, I rang the Commonwealth Bank the day before, yeah. so mm. it wasn't like a year later I went to the bank and got it wrong. It was actually the very next day. Chris and I took a photo of mum and went straight to Byron Bay, and walked the streets. I mean, why would that yeah. woman tell me when I'm ringing up saying, "Can you tell me if my mum's accounts being used?" She could have just said, "No, due to privacy, I can't tell you anything." But she paused and said, "Oh my God, did you say your mum's overseas?" I said, there "Yes." You go. And she said, oh, my Lord, there's money coming out of yeah. her account in Byron Bay. Yeah. Why would she say that to me? Yeah. And the problem that I have is the bank have come back saying, oh, we don't hold records after 14 years, yet they're mm. quite confident to sit there and tell us that, oh, no, she definitely didn't have a bank account. After that all happened, I started going back and back and back. And I said to Alison, when we were living in Springwood in the Blue Mountains, the bank that we went to was the Commonwealth Bank. I go. remember having those little tins that looked like a little office building. Yeah. Yep, we all had and those. And that was what Owen and I had. And we, we, I went there all the time. I busked out the front there singing when I was about eight. <laughs> um, you know, but that bank is still there in exactly the same spot. My dad lives in the Blue Mountains. I frequent there enough to go past and go, oh, the Commonwealth Bank's still in exactly the same spot as it was when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. Um, mm. And we banked with the Commonwealth Bank. Mm. So how can they definitively sit there and say she's never had an account with the Commonwealth Bank? Also, just going back on, on, I mean, I have to respectfully disagree with, um, you know, all the different points um, that the coroner has to consider. One of the points they have to consider is whether she had sufficient uh, connection with New South Wales. Well, I mean, that's a no-brainer. She was born there. She lived most of her life there. She was, you know... She as, was married three times in New South Wales. Yeah. I mean, aside from the last three years that where she was in Queensland um, and now the discovery, which is just remarkable that we're only finding this out now, that she she actually came into Brisbane Airport on August the 2nd, not Mascot, which was what the document said. Other than that, you know, that that everything else is New South Wales. So, and just, I mean, a, just, a, just a couple of things, Alison, on that. Um, it's interesting that um, Detective uh, Senior Constable Gary Sheehan, who's been had um, carriage of this, this case since 2009, would be saying this now. Um, he spent effectively 10 years then investigating something which he now thinks might be best handled in another jurisdiction. That, that doesn't add up for me. The, the, the yeah. other one is that um, um, Ron Idles, the good cop, said that um, uh, you know, the, the answers are always in the case file. And just like uh, we've learned about the bank, we've learned recently that, um, as you just said, that, that whoever came back using that Florabella Remicel passport, now we're told, definitely came back in through Brisbane Airport after Sally's been told for the last however many years that, oh no, she came back into Mascot Airport at Sydney um, the day after you last spoke to her, August the 2nd, 1997. Now, Ron Edels, the good cop who we interviewed a while ago, said, look, the answer's always in the file. This is a guy with a 99% rate at solving homicides. Um, we'd love to get a look at that file. We've applied and had the hearing in NCAT, the Administrative Tribunal. Alison, do you know how soon we are away from getting a decision on whether we can get a look at that file and find the answers? Well, any day now is kind of like the, uh, the you know, what we're 
you know, sort of told at this this juncture. Um, it basically, um, it, you know, they have so many case files, and as you know, with um, with government agencies, they're usually overrun. Um, so hopefully, it, it won't be far away, though. But just on that, I mean, the interesting thing with that uh, New South Wales uh, mascot, you know, because one of the documents actually said she was seen at yeah, mascot. Last Airport. seen at last mascot. Last seen at mascot. I mean, it's just remarkable that there could be so many. Again. All the twists and turns with this. This is not just something that somebody's mentioned to Sally. This is something that's in documentation twice and one where she was last seen there. So, I mean, yeah, it, it seems to... And look, with Gary also, I will say that in 2011, he was um, actually raising the issue of jurisdiction then in his report yep. where it was to... Uh, to oh, there you go. Close but it. I don't know if that ever went through. Like, a lot of the documentation we have, we have... I, that I have in my possession says there's a, like there's probably five or six emails oh, that say it was that um, he that the coroner was demanding as per mm. the mm. as per the um, the criteria or the legislation that, yeah that they had to send that information to the coroner and they yeah, were sending certainly. the second second alert you have not done this yeah. within the 21 days or you have not notified us 12 months after this person has yeah. not been cited yeah. as per the legislation or the you know the criteria that must be adhered to so i've got a lot of those documents um, with me as well and gary has explained to me just recently when i because i he knows like he's this is not going to be a surprise to him but i'm not happy for it to be going to queensland i've expressed that to him and he has said to me that it's really important that we go through the process of checking the jurisdictional issue because he said it would be terrible to do all of this work to get it to that point and then the coroner goes, actually, no, it needs to go to Queensland. But my argument will be, and I will rebut this, that everything points to her being in New South Wales and something happening in New South Wales. Yeah. And I will be a, like a dog with a bone trying to find that bell on a bone to have mum's DNA tested against that or at least my DNA tested against that because, to me, that is way too close. Yeah to the whole pattern of effect. Like, you've got Byron Bay money coming out, Medicare card being used in Grafton, and bang in the middle, you've got Ballina, and there's a bone being found that hasn't been able to be identified um, and has been tested against women of the same age as my mum. So, or what my mum would yep. do today. So that needs to be found and it needs to be checked. Well, the reality is she has sufficient connection to New South Wales. That is the criteria in there. There was like A, B and C. She's got one, one of these. And one of them is to have sufficient connection to New South Wales, which he does. So yep. uh, to me, the, there's no question. So, um, but with that, um, yeah, so he um, he did make that point um, that Gary, that, you know, he had to go through that process. He did mention that when he was closing the file, when he applied for the, the um, for Marion no longer to be Longer, taken off the list. Taken off the yeah. list. He mentioned it back then. Um, but that wasn't, you know, part of that, I guess. And, you know, the deadline had already gone for, you know, there was a year that she had to be reported to um, the coroner and she hadn't been. So there's there's lots of issues. Obviously. It's kind of like it's, it's fallen by the wayside at that point, I think. Like, yeah. it was like it went to which Rico spoke about in the NCAT hearing, if you want to go back and listen to that episode where we play that whole um, script mm. of being in the hearing. You can hear Rico talking to um, 
That's a lawyer, Rico, yeah. Yeah, talking to New South Wales Police representative that, you know, who's supposed to make the decision about taking someone off the missing persons mm. register, which I'll just clarify was only New South Wales, not national. Mm. Um, and he, he stated that it's not supposed to come from the manager of the missing persons unit. However, we've got it in documentation and confirmed mm. by him that it was actually the missing persons manager unit manager who actually deemed that um, because she'd uh, changed her name and that apparently the family were satisfied that that had happened, which yeah. I'd like to sit, sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with that manager and say, did I actually tell you that? Because yeah. here I am 22, 23 years later, I'm not satisfied that yeah. my mum went missing on her own account, so I'm not sure where you pulled that from. Those sorts of comments get my goat up because they're commenting and making assumptions based on what they think and making it out like I've said it or I've agreed to it or the family's agreed to it, which is not the case. So that makes me a bit cranky sometimes. And in Gary's defence, I will say that he took over in 2009. Yeah, that's true. And that was 2007. 12 years later. Yeah, yeah. So it was 12 years later. But I think she went on the missing persons list in 2007. So they had the two years prior, prior to Gary taking it over, where she should have been referred to the coroner and wasn't. And Gary did did do and has done a lot of work on this case. And I guess it's it's frustrating for him too because at the end of the day, he's a, a police officer with a heavy workload. Yeah. in, in uh, the Tweed Heads uh, local area command. This is something he's had to do and he has done in his spare time or when he's got a moment as the years have progressed. He's, he's, he has kept at it and he's kept talking to Sally. We're, we're just thrilled that there's now some sort of institutional change and operational resources being thrown at this, finally, yeah. to help people like Gary do the job they want to do. Yeah. Well, and it's not fair, I don't think. No. It's like, Gary, like I've said to him, I said, can't you just get somebody else to help you with this? Like, this is an important thing. Yeah, yeah, you no, know, And he's like, there's, I can't. No like, there's five no. of us trying to manage this and trying to do all of our normal jobs as well. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, you know what, personally, I kind of consider this as part of a normal job. Like, you know, if you're a police officer and there's someone missing, it should take 100% precedence as much as a murder case, as much as someone robbing a shop. Like, it should be up there, high level of importance. It shouldn't be pushed to the side when people yeah, have time it's, to do it. It's, it's, it's just because of the nature of the, this type of case, the resources that are required and the time that's required, yeah. that, that, that it, that it you know, gets put on a list with competing interests and, and falls by the wayside. But well, it shouldn't be up to them. I yeah. don't think it should be pushed back to the local yeah. district to manage it because no. they don't have the resources to do it. So this is why this um, missing persons unit is so imperative that it gets up and running properly and doing a good job. And I'm really confident just meeting with Glenn Brown that that is he's going to take the reins and working closely with Rachel there as well. Like it's been, I have I have a lot of faith that it's going to do well. Well, people will remember the the Ron Eddles interview, and he would he said that in homicide they will go through the cases in the district, so the ones that would be notified, and they would look at the ones they would join the, the the local area in investigating the ones that were like this one that were that did look like that foul play was involved, that there's something obscure that needs investigation. And this one ticks all the boxes, and that just it didn't really happen. does. It and you know what? Happens. And that's just why. And I said this to Glenn Brown as well. I said this is why I had to go to media because I have just 
I, I understand Gary's position. I always have. I've always been very supportive of his position. But at the same time, it's really frustrating because I need I need more. So, um, you know, the fact that um, we can get moving on it and the fact that the Homicide Squad actually did a review on my mum's case only recently after we went to NCAT, after we've done a podcast and alerted everybody as to what people are living behind closed doors... Um, you know, that then becomes apparent to them and they go, okay, let's do a homicide review. Oh, actually, you know what? She hasn't been seen or cited for 22 years. Let's put her back on the missing persons list or put her on the missing persons list, which is, again, not okay. But, you know, I'm glad that we're there. Um, And I I said this to to Glenn Brown as well. I'm a a glass half full kind of person. And I'd be very happy with just an apology from New South Wales Police to say, look, we've actually mucked this up. We're really sorry. Gary has apologised for making an error in stating that Mum flew into Brisbane on the 3rd of September in his document. We've also got Graham Childs, who took the initial report. He's also apologised to me and said, look, I'm sorry, it seems I might have dropped the ball here. But I needed an official apology for the muck-ups and the stuff around and the because none of that brings my mum back. But, you know, I, I'm happy to move forward. I, I would, I'm happy just to keep going forward to how we're going and try and get some answers. Like, I'm not one that's going to sit here and whinge about what the errors are in the past. It would be nice to get an apology, but, you know, let's just move forward and keep working on trying to find out what's happened. And, most and you, all- just, you just mentioned Graham Child, Sal. Um, I know a lot of people on Facebook are still asking, and, and every time they listen to that episode, oh, yeah. they hear that little moment about 50 minutes in, where Graham Child says, actually, yeah, no, I, I remember I spoke to him. I mean, I haven't, I can't forget how he worded it, but it yeah. sounded like he misspoke and accidentally revealed that he'd spoken to your mum. Mm. Um, but um, we, we have, Alison, you did follow that up, didn't you? I you did. did I did follow it up. We, you know, and you can hear it there, you know, when we go back later. Um, and I actually, you know, verify that, you know, but you don't remember. And he says, no, I don't remember. So, um, you know, that's just it. And you know what? Um, whether he remembers he, he or not... He says it's a slip of the tongue. It wasn't. He wasn't revealing a truth yeah, that he doesn't I mean, want to now admit to. Yeah. Worst case scenario, he does remember and doesn't want to tell us. Well, if that's the case, he's not going to tell us. But, you know, my, my gut feeling is that he actually just doesn't remember. And, and I think what people go. need to understand too, when we're doing these, none of this is scripted. So when we're interviewing somebody, it's not scripted. We don't hand them a, a, a script of what to say or what to answer. Or what questions. Or what questions we're going to give them. So, I mean, we had someone come on the other day, sent us a private message saying, can you please tell everyone to stop saying um all the time? <laughs> and I was like, wow, I actually am really self-conscious about saying um a lot. Um, 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 look, no, we can't. No, we can't. But you know what I mean? Like, we're sitting here off the cuff. Like, this is not... Conversations is unscripted. Uh, The normal episodes, absolutely, they are scripted and there are no ums in that. So, Well, our parts are, but the interviews are. The interviews are. Only only the bits that we read in between are. Mm. The rest of it is very off the cuff. So, pardon us for... (laughs) Yes, for being human. (laughs) I've just got an email. Um, This is on um, the, the artwork that someone spotted, one of our, one of our web sleuths, and Sally, you can tell us about it, but um, it was to do with a Jamie Boyd still life and it had been sold by a Melbourne art house. Okay, let me have a look at this email. I uh, got in touch with the art house to see if we could get the provenance of the artwork, which uh, is obviously has a lot of problems around that. Um, okay, hi, Brian. Okay, I will sadly not be able to help your cause greatly. I can't provide much information on the vendor as this would breach our consignment agreement with them. 
Given that there are 100 of this print in existence, there's no certainty this is the same work you are seeking. Unless you knew the edition owned by Marion, um, this was number 89 out of 100. We sold print 89 out of 100, owned by a private vendor, but unfortunately that is the limit of the provenance available. Sorry, I can't be of more help. And um, the first message I got back from uh, Olivia Fuller at the head of art, Leonard Joel Art Galleries in Melbourne, um, was that um, they're, they're a great, uh, she and her, her colleague are great fans of the podcast, purely coincidentally. Mm. Um, so they wanted to help, but they, they can't because of privacy. That was number 89 out of 100 in a series, one of which your mum owned, Sal. Yeah, and so we've I've actually been in contact with Jamie Boyd um, and he confirmed exactly the name of the, the piece of art and that it was a lithiograph and um, they've, they've been able to obviously identify that there was only 100 of those, which, you know what, if we actually, if I had the time, I could sit down and, and try and find each of those 100 and try and find where they are in the world because mm. artwork is one of those things that is uh, catalogued as people buy and sell, usually through, um, you know, through galleries and so forth. Yeah, so, the, the, the provenance of a piece of art is proof that it's genuine. Yeah. It's history, yeah. And the problem that I have is I don't know what the number was. I don't know if we could try and get some magic camera to look at the, the photo that I have to see if we can find what the number is because it will be on that photo. But Actually, it, we can probably try that. But it'll be minuscule. Yeah. So we might be able to find it by doing that as well, just thinking off the off the top of my head. But, um, but yeah, like, a, you know, I don't have a photo, unfortunately, of the Arthur Boyd. I don't have a photo of the Norman Lindsay. I do have a lovely lady who um, behind the scenes has been helping me dig very deep in the artwork world. She hasn't really come up with anything yet, which I half expect not because it's so hard to, to know and because I don't know what the numbers are. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know how I remember that it was an Arthur Boyd or a, or a Jamie Boyd. I just don't even remember why that would be important to me. But if I can just mention too, we had another anonymous um, email come through, which you guys are aware of. You sent it on to me and her name was Tracy. And I ended up speaking with her yesterday and she's actually, her family used to own um, furniture wares in Ashmore down on the Gold oh, Coast. Great. And so her her interest was that she potentially might be able to go back through and um, one of her family members had quite a good memory of going to people's homes and picking things, like a bit of a picker kind of thing, um, and then bring them back to their shop to sell. Mm-hmm. So she asked me about the artwork. I, I talked about that and anything else that might have been um, available and I told her that my mum had this huge collection of Royal Dalton figurines. Uh, some of which were mine personally and I'm devastated that they've gone because they were treasures for me. My dad bought me one for my birthday every year um, and one of them is named Sally and um, but mum had this glass cabinet and she kept all the figurines in there but they were all packed up with her storage and obviously have now gone by, by the wayside. Um, which is very sad but one of the, one of the Royal Dalton figurines was called the Balloon Lady and I remember this because mum made such a big deal of getting it. She had to buy it over when she went on her honeymoon with Ray Barter. They bought it while they were in Europe and um, brought it home. And it's, I don't know, I, I'm trying to remember what it looks like. I'm going to Google it actually and I'll put it on the Facebook page so people can have a look at it. But I think she has a big green dress. She's an old lady and she's holding a, a bunch of balloons like she's sitting on a box or something. Um, but that that piece itself would be worth quite a lot of money, I'm assuming, today's world. Um, so, you know, knowing that they were a part of mum's life, we may be able to try and might 
spike someone's interest to remember selling them at an auction or like having some massive collection that was unclaimed through storage units on the Gold Coast or something like that. That's This is where we need to dig really, really deep to try and find the source of that uh, shipping container. So yep. um, thanks, Tracy, for offering to help. She will get back to me if she can come up with anything. Oh, that Great is stuff. really good. So just moving forward, just so um, our um, listeners know where we're at. So we're waiting for the NCAT decision, that file. As soon as we get that, we will um, do up another episode, um, which will feature that and, um, you know, my phone call to Fernand to see how I go with that, as well as, um, you know, there's a forensic linguist who's analysed the last letters. Gina of, yep, Georgina Hayden, who's um, looked at the last letters of um, Marion and even compared them to a couple of years prior to her disappearance. Um, so there's there's more there um, and, there, you know, there's a couple of other follows as well that we won't, we can't talk about right now. Um, as well and, as and a forensic linguist, that, that's someone who analyses handwriting to determine the emotional state of the author? Yes. Well, yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously she, she did comparisons back then to say it was the same author, which of course it was. Um, so, yeah, so there was that. Um, and it's also a very difficult, like I had a big conversation with Georgina on the phone and it's nearly, it's nearly impossible. There's nothing proven to be able to say that someone is being coerced by a forensic um, linguist looking at it and being able to analyse the, the handwriting. Right, there are certain right. circumstances. Unless but it's obvious. Correct. Yeah. And there were things that she's pointed out, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next podcast. Um, but, you know, there was in her document, in her report that she gave to us. So, um, you know, it's just good to do. It's another box to tick off and say we've checked that. We've looked at this as well. Um, and hopefully we'll also have Glenn Brown um, with Brian with the sit-down interview that... His promise. So um, hopefully that, well, you know, that that should, um, it's just when that will happen. Yeah, I'll be sending off the email and uh, looking forward to meeting Glenn and, um, oh, yeah, he's great. and, and speaking I mean, to the police. Yeah. <laughs> he might want to wait too until he goes overseas and stuff like that. He might want to come back with a bit more information. Yeah, yeah. but you know. Yeah, like but it's really just sitting down and maybe um, talking. talking through yeah. um, all the information we have, the leads, the names, the inf- yeah. you know, the, the, the possible um, tips. The uh, I mean, we're constantly getting new stuff in. Yeah. And he made he did make a very strong point though that the missing persons unit was not taking over the case. It was still in the hands of Gary Sheen and Tweed, um, the Tweed District Police. Um, they are actually just assisting with the case, but it is still of the jurisdiction of of Tweed. So he did was quite firm about saying that, wasn't he? But, yeah, I think it's also, for us, one thing I'm fascinated in is how this new unit will differ from the old unit. So just, you know, Mm. you know, he's been there a month now or over a month, so what has he done so far? What does he want to do? You know, Mm. just in general, Mm. um, if he can't talk specifically. Yeah, and unlike Tweed Head's uh, local area command, this unit has the brief, the resources and the the charter to handle precisely this type of case. And right now this this case is at the top of that very short list. Yeah, well, let's hope so anyway. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, that's the other thing. But, you know, also that, you know, we'll get an update on um, the reports um, I know Sally follows up all the time um, with the reports, um, and we do as well from our end through the media channels um, on where they are with the coroner. Have they been submitted yet? So we'll find that out as well. But there's um, there's a lot coming, um, and 
you know, I feel like we've put, I feel like we've baked a cake basically. Put all the ingredients in, put it in the oven. Now we're just waiting for it mm, to rise. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and, true. You know, come out and cut it up. And so, yeah, that's um, so much. And it's just been a really thrilling ride where we're all probably a little bit impatient. It's just like, come on, let's go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, and there has been a bit of a pause, obviously, now while we're just waiting for things to tick over. But understand that we are bound by. New South Wales Police, essentially. So we need them to be actually working with us closely now and telling us what's happening. And, you know, I feel like we are stepping in the right direction, but it would be good to put a little bit of fire under under everyone and get get going a bit faster yeah, because I mean, it's been a long drive already. And, you know, my mum's now, it's her birthday on the 3rd of October, um, yeah. you know, and she'd be 74. So we need to we need to stop mucking around. Like, yeah. I, I think we've been patient enough and I need to start getting some firm answers. And for us... And there, there, there are just some strong leads that the police, only the police can, can yeah. follow up, can, can uh, act on. We, we've tried... The, the couple that, that come to mind immediately that are very strong leads are the, the phone number in that Correct. personal ad. I, I mean, Telstra won't tell us. They can't tell us by law. The police can get the answer. Can get, they can get the name of who that number was registered yeah. to. We, we can very quickly, potentially, rule in or out that, that lead. And that was the ad that led us to Fernand Remekil. Now, who had that phone number? in yeah. um, in Ballina. We, we need to find that out. The, the police potentially can find that out. The other thing are flight manifests from airlines. Mm. Now that we're now that we're told it was a different airport, that affects the flights she was on mm. and also the security the pot- potentiality for security footage being stored oh. of arrivals or, or the gate departures and arrivals from yeah. Brisbane Airport because we checked also, in Sydney. Let's get on and check that today. You know speaking, what, what, why don't we that, have that now? I have got an update on that. Home Affairs did get back an FOI application saying there is a document um, in relation to this, but they won't give it to us. Or well, that was to Sally. Um, actually, it was Sally's application. And um, so now we've gone to external review. So we know this. And again, all this would come out in an inquest, which is why we... But, you know, this is about going forward and we're not looking at what's happened in the past. We just want to look what's happening now and in the future. Yeah. That's where people are going to judge New South Wales police. So, you know, we just need yeah. them, please. Even like the passenger lists. Mm. Like I have yeah. been saying to Gary now since 2016, I think was the first time I came up with this idea. Mm. of why don't we look at who, who she sat next to on the plane? Mm. Because yep. or even, if, if, even if they don't have that clarity of what seat they sat in, at least they would have a list of the passengers on those flights. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's right. And if they have the same person on the outgoing flight and then on the incoming flight, hello, that to me Bingo. is like black and white, you've got a person of interest. You have, and I yep. don't know why that hasn't been checked I don't know. I mean, we've got we've found records because those records become public after twenty odd years or so. So we've actually gone back through, or Joni went back through and found that you can actually find those documents after a certain period of time. And we are now up to twenty three years, so we are close to being able to make that a public doc, having that document public anyway. So I don't know what the problem is twenty three years down the track to actually look for those documents. And we did make another application just quickly because we, we should finish up um, through the through New South Wales under the GIPA, which is the equivalent. FOI law there um, again for the new file um, on Marion's disappearance. Um, so that's since December last year because our other application only went up to December last year, um, yep. and we were rejected in full on the mm. basis that it's you know the the investigation is now active and they have 
um, got new information and the new investigation, new leads, whatever, and they don't want to jeopardise that. Uh, my argument is, of course, we wouldn't want to jeopardise that either, but there would still be information in part that they could release, even if it was just to verify some of the facts or, you know, some of the errors in their previous documents. But um, so, so remind me, because I can't remember... We, did we talk about the the wallet being stolen and the information we got back from Freedom of Information about that? Oh no, we haven't. Just quickly, no. we'll just quickly touch on that. Go south. See, oh my goodness. So we that's been going on all year. So we put the Freedom of Information documentation in for that. I think in that's in February, Queensland Police. The Queensland Police to share with me the information about when my mum's wallet was stolen. Now. There's a lot of lot of problems here too because my theory was maybe someone has stolen her identity and used her identity to use her Medicare card, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, when I've I have spoken to Barb Matthew, who's one of Mum's really good friends, she came up and stayed with Mum in September of 1996. I've then gone back to Janice, who came and visited Mum, I think in the February or January of 97. Another good friend. Janice she White. also confirms that. The wallet was stolen around that time. Right. I then had to jump through hoops for Queensland Police, Freedom of Information, to tell them how I knew about this information. How did I know that the wallet was stolen? So I then <laughs> gave them a full brief on my recollection of what mum told me. So they've come back and told me that the wallet was stolen in June or report was put in that her wallet was stolen in June in 94. So I'll clarify that in a second. Um, they stated that um, it was only put in at the police station and no further investigation was done. That's it. That is all that is on her file about this. Now, I didn't move up to Queensland until December 94. I moved out. We've gone back through and tried to timeline this. I moved out with Chris around the August of 95. So I was living with mum all of that period of time before Chris and I moved in together. And um, what I can say is that that wallet 100% was stolen while after I moved out from living with mum. And I can also 100%, which I've said before, mum showed me a photograph of a woman that was taken from the CCTV footage at the petrol station using her credit card, which the police had given her. I've rung them back. She looked like her. She looked identical to my mum, except younger and with and had big glasses on. Oh, However, wow. she I've rung them and said um, the lady who who wrote the report saying this is all we're giving you, and she said all I can tell you is that that says that the wallet was stolen and read, marked as stolen and reported at a police station in the July of um, ninety four. So I said, well, that's I don't think that's true and then that's when I went back to Barb Mathy then I went back to Janice White both of really close friends with mum who saw mum at the end of 96 and early 97 and they both agreed that that was the timeline when that wallet was stolen uh, Janice even said to me when I was talking to her about it she said I think there was thought process that maybe it was a parent at the school who'd taken the wallet because the wallet literally went missing from the front of her house to when she arrived at school mm. and um, anyway that's by the wayside we don't know anything about that but the fact that there's no photograph mm. on her file of this woman using the CCTV footage yeah. my question was did they ever catch the woman what happened to her? Was she was she arrested for stealing someone's, you know, identity well, and using someone's credit card? Sally. They got nothing, right? They've got yeah. her wallet was stolen. No further investigation. 
And I I question that because I physically saw that with my own eyes. And mum showed me. So that's CCTV footage of of the the thief, presumably, using your mum's stolen credit card. Correct. So we have witnessed that. After June 1994. Well, I wasn't even in Queensland in June '94. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was living in Sydney. So we yeah. we've gone to the office of the Information Commissioner in Queensland, uh, and we're still before them. I mean, it's been again going backwards and forwards because you know I've I've uh, also argued sufficiency of search, saying this document documentation exists and that should have been captured. So we're we're still waiting. Um, the same with um, the, the most recent application to, um, to New South Wales Police, where they rejected us in full. So we've gone to external review and we'll go to end And it's horrible too. Like I, I'm the one getting those documents and I'm the ones getting those emails and Miss Layden, we advise you, we have rejected your um, request in full. But that happens all the time. That's it. We it's just like a... It's used to like, it now. What, what are you talking but about? But we will go to NCAT and we will go to QCAT if, if necessary. Again, um, as you can see, it just still takes a long time. It would be great if they just gave it to us, but that's what we're doing. And um, with Home Affairs, with that document, we're going to the Office of the Information... Uh, the Australian Information Commissioner, and then we'll go to the Australian Administrative Tribunal, the AAT, if necessary, yeah. to get it there. So and Home Affairs is the one about getting um, the um, airport um, um, footage C- yeah, and the CCTV footage yeah. and yep. security From her cameras. coming through Brisbane yeah, Airport. So they have one document. I don't know if they have CCTV, but they have a document. So that uh, whatever it is, I want it. So anyway. All Can I have, say one more thing? Yep. We've had a lot of people ask questions about mum's will. And mm-hmm. I found the solicitor. Um, and what I can clarify with everybody is that because there was a lot of question: was there somebody else added to the will? Did Mum put in um, a different executor of the will, or anything like that? And what I can tell you is that when he asked me, um, he, he just said to me, "Is your brother alive?" And I said, "No, he's not." And he said, "Okay, well, I can tell you that it was only you and him in the will, and you are the executor." So. I was the executor of Mum's will. There was no Ramakel added to the will. There was no anybody else. Um, that will was made by Mum in early November 1996. Yeah. So I also poised the question, why would she go to the effort and pay somebody to do her will for her if she was intending on selling that house and taking all her money and her belongings six months yeah. later? So something definitely happened. Yeah, yeah, like we've yeah, tied yeah. that in. She won the Teacher of Award of Excellence. She went to the awards night in the November of 96. She made the will in 96. She had Christmas with the family in 96 and was very happy and everything was normal. My grandfather got very sick. He had cancer. And then we go into the following year and that's when I remember mum starting to cry and get upset about what was happening at school. So that is the time frame that we're working with and I don't think it was a very well-planned execution. I think it happened very fast, hence the, the name change, getting the new passport, selling the house really fast, quitting her job really quickly. Um, and even Mandy said to me, Mandy Jennings, who was mum's assistant, I went and had lunch with her a couple of weeks ago and she was saying, there is no way she would have quit halfway through the year to leave those boys. Like, it's something must have been really bad for her to quit halfway through the year because she wouldn't. She just wouldn't do it. She said she was angry at Mandy because she had really bad morning sickness and I think there was only four weeks left of the year when Mandy had to leave because she had such bad morning sickness. And she said, your mother was so angry with me because I was leaving the boys and she needed help with the boys and she was all about the boys, um, you know, and her teaching. Um, so the fact that she'd do it halfway through a year and leave those Something boys or leave 
those that those parents, you know, um, something definitely was not right. So I'll leave you with that as well. I just know there's been a lot of people asking that question about was there somebody else on the will? Was somebody else made executor? But I can clarify that it was just Owen and I. And unfortunately, as Owen is deceased, um, it falls with me. And as I have said to the solicitor. It's irrelevant anyway because there's nothing. Like, you know, the the will yeah. is in my name. I'm the executor of zero because the house was sold, all the money's been stripped out of her account and all the furniture's missing. So there's nothing for me to gain by having that information, um, just to know that it, it was me. Yeah. So, no, thank you for that, Sal, and thanks, Brian. Um, just quickly, we'll stay tuned. Um, follow us on Facebook um, to know when our next episode and next conversations is out. We'll keep you posted. Um, and, um, yeah, there's a lot happening. We're thank working you. on it. We're currently working there's on it. There's so much happening. <laughs> um, but, yes, as I said, we're just going to wait for that cake to rise. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sal. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Have a good day.